0: Are you satisfied with your understanding of sustainability? If you are not, imagine a journey together, a pluralistic one, with academia, innovators, startups, NGOs, all looking for solutions to the greatest challenge of our time. My name is Samuel Tini, and this is The Sustainability Journey. Welcome to another wonderful episode. Today, we have... A very important guest. We are honored to have the director of the INSEAD, Hoffman Global Institute for Business and Society. She's coming from France. Her name is Catelle Gouven and she's the director, and she will give us insights on how academia is fostering sustainability. Thank you, Katel, for being here with us. Thank you so much for having me, Samuel. I'm
1: happy to be here.
0: Katel, it's, it's such a pleasure to have you here. You are a real recognized expert from the academia and also your work. And I've seen him and noticed that you also started, in maybe in the same time, a podcast. So. Why your podcast? Because we are treating more or less the same
1: issues. Yes. So wh- I think we both started in March this year. Is that right? You also started in March, right? Yes, yes, correct. Yes, in March was yeah. the past episode. But I think yeah, you've been much more productive because I think I have less episodes <laughs> episodes than you. So you you've beat me here. So um, so the the podcast indeed is called Mission to Change, and it's also exactly like you focusing on sustainability. So I'm excited that to speak with you to share also that experience because we have that in common. The reason why I wanted to start that uh, is because so at, at INSEAD the school has a commitment to promoting you know business as a first. Good. And I'll speak more about that. And the institute that I came to INSEAD to create has a mission really to push that agenda through you know, business education. And what I've felt is that there is a lot, of, a lot of talk from the top of companies in terms of what companies are doing. So a lot of CEOs speaking about the need for more sustainability, right? Or impact, or however you want to call it. Then you can also find some more and more action that are reported in sustainability report by CSR offices, etc. But I really felt that we were not hearing enough about how it's done and what one person can do about it and make it happen. And so I felt that for me, at least it was very inspiring when I heard people telling how they were pushing sustainability in their organization and in their business. So the podcast is really about that. It's really about how humans like you and me are pushing this agenda you know, where their drive comes from, how and when they felt empowered to take action in that field. What is the impact they're having as a person? Of course, working with others, but as a one single person, what is the impact they can have? What is hard and what they've learned, right? So so that's what it is about. And um, the objective is really to inspire all of us to take action, including me. Since I've started it, it's really boosted my own motivation for my own job at ESEAD, right? So, I think we can really be inspired by people who are pushing that. And so in the first season, I have conversation with a CEO, with a leader of an NGO, working with business, with, with an entrepreneur, with an, an intrapreneur in different industries just to really look at how one person could put change from these different angles and perspectives. And it's also people from different backgrounds. One has an engineering background. One is a doctor. One is a scientist. One is a, you know, um, uh, an athlete right that's why i wanted to start that and um why did you start yours very
0: interesting i like the, the human perspective it's real the change maker the people working towards a common planet it can be also on the same side as you when i started i really wanted to make to give voice to Change Mecca, to people with different backgrounds. And I totally agree with you because people, they have coming from all sorts of geographies and context and even an origin. All pushing toward the common goal of fostering sustainability in this in the planet, especially looking at these crucial decades. You know, the decade for action. Now the time is is a bit over. I think (laughs) we really need to move.
1: Yeah, and also I think when you look at the at the size of the problems, I mean, it's very daunting, right? You're like climate change. What can I do? And it seems very superfluous in terms of uh, what you feel you can do as an individual. But all the laws are made by humans. (laughs) All businesses are shaped by humans and executed by humans. All the, so I think if we bring it down at that uh, human uh, level, then all of a sudden it becomes more concrete in terms of what a person can do at home and at work. And of course, you know, I'm, I'm very privileged. We cannot do the same. But everybody can have a contribution. And I think I want it also to honor that. That
0: is very, very important. I think it's really what you said. You want to make a contribution and it shows your passion. And the way you are speaking, you can see the spark and the flame inside you. And we really need more people like you. If every individual do his own bit, then we will make some change. And talking about you and your path, where are you coming from? How Cattel came to the academia and doing this wonderful job at the Hoffman Institute?
1: So I'm French. Actually, I'm from Brittany in French. So my name, Cattel, is a name from Brittany. So it's a Celtic name. So that's where my family and my origins are are from. I was raised in the western part of of France, uh, in a rural area, in a farm. I'm a classic French uh, curriculum. I have an engineering degree and I, um, I specialize. Um, rather early in um, development. I wanted really to work, uh, contribute to development and focusing on developing countries. So I have a master's in uh, tropical agronomy, and then I pursue for to you know, have a PhD in agriculture and development economics. So that's where I'm coming from, from a, a study point of view. So I worked in development, uh, let's say the first part of my career, up until I joined INSEAD. And I've worked with NGOs, uh, in the field you know from soil erosion uh, in Burkina Faso to microcredit in Vietnam etc i've worked for governments and i've worked for international organizations uh, really looking at uh, various issues. Uh, I started with, uh, you know, biodiversity, climate change. Um, I also worked on big data, global public good. I mean, you name it. So I've worked on a number of, of issues. I think the common thread for me has always been about um, what are these kind of frontier issues that make the development agenda evolve. It really evolved from a system of, you know, from a colonialist standpoint, system of North-South relation to a charity system through aid, through a system where, you know, uh, we all need to work together because it's in interest of all to deliver global public goods and and address global challenges. So that's what I've been uh, passionate about. And then three years ago, I I joined INSEAD. And the reason why that happened was, uh, you know, uh, as every change in life, it's a mix of uh, personal reasons and professional reasons. But on the professional front, I felt that there were some actors that were increasingly shaping the development agenda beyond, you know, the traditional governmental and integral governmental actors, which are the traditional, let's say, <laughs> business owner of development. And so, for instance, I saw the growing role of, um, of city governments in international relations and addressing global challenge, right? Uh, the role of um, foundations becoming much more engaged in shaping policies and also the role of, uh, of citizens engagement and the role of business. And so I started looking at uh, opportunities for me professionally in these areas. And then uh, a friend of mine came uh, in my office. He was an, an alum from INSEAD, and he said, "Look, I've seen that ad. It looks like you. I think you should apply." And I applied. And the reason why I was interested is that INSEAD had already started to make a commitment on business as a force for good, right? And basically, the creation of that institute was to foster that agenda in INSEAD. And given the the one number one business school in the world, but also the fact that it has a network of 60,000 alumni in 170 countries. Coming from the UN, I thought, oh, you know, I mean, that looks a little bit like the UN without the bureaucracy of the UN, so maybe something could change through that as well, right? So I thought that in terms of both influencing business education as well as influencing these humans who can change business as a force for good, I felt that that was a fantastic opportunity and so on. That's why I applied and um, you know, I'm still very honoured that uh, they asked me to help them um, get there and uh, I'm very lucky to be in that position.
0: Wonderful. So you have really bridged the profit, not profit and you, you have recognised the rise of the businesses and especially the cities and the government. Let us say you are um, a personalization of the SDG 17 partnership. (laughs) We can use this metaphor because only this union and this partnership can deliver. And your position at the INSEAD, and in the fact, of course, as you say, the UN of business with so many alumni and work, it's really a privileged position where you can really foster change and promote change within a lot of corporations which it's where uh, we can make a very big impact.
1: It's good that you're mentioning this because I think for your audience I think that's an important message again that at one individual level we can make. I mean we all probably have one foot somewhere and one foot somewhere and I think that helping to make these connections is fundamental because for instance you know Not everywhere, but you can see a little bit of stigmatism from the business side when you look at it from the UN perspective, saying like, oh, you know, these these are the bad guys. And similarly, when you're on, you know, the side of business, you can also see the UN as like, oh, here the fluffy tree huggers, etc. And I think that trying to reconcile the fact that there is the same drive at both ends, but they're just using different language, different frameworks, different epistemic communities. And trying to to be the translator across, I think, is a very, very important function that all of us who are in this privileged position should be doing because it contributes to, you know, collective action. So I think it's very important. Yes, indeed.
0: I think you have summarized perfectly. Very rightly said, I love the agas and the other one, you know, the bad people, because that is sometimes you have to break the barriers and it's where the individual and your podcast and this podcast and everything, we are trying really to break these old barriers.
1: And like, you know, for instance, in one of the episodes I did, it was, uh, I just mentioned one like that, because that's exactly what she's doing. I had an interview with uh, Nicole Rycroft from Canopy, and it's an NGO, right? But she's really working with businesses to try and define the sustainability policy. Her focus is on forest conservation, and then accompanies the business, you know, from the knowledge she has of how, to do forest conservation, accompany businesses who do not have that knowledge internally on how to execute it, and it's a brilliant example on how you know NGO and business can really work together, and they don't have to be antagonistic and see each other as uh, you know adversaries, etc. So again, I think that uh, if we can bring more examples of how we build these bridges, that can also sound very UNE when I say that, but again as individual we can and we can also between our private life and our professional life so if we can bring all the good things we did on the you know on the private life to work we show up you know fully things can really change in businesses i strongly believe in this indeed that is
0: perfectly said you know the power of the individual and let me ask because you're mentioning the work and the interview you have done for example People in the audience, I have an organization, you know, practically how I can really integrate. We are talking about sustainability, the compass and all these frameworks, but how I can integrate really sustainability in my organization, be a business or even
1: others. So I think what's important here to realize first is it's about change management. It's not about creating and then growing, you know, a CSR dedicated function I mean, all this is great. I'm not, you know, questioning that, but it's about really a transformational change in the organization. A little bit like the kind of transformation you need to think of when you think about the influence of digitalization. It's the same type of approach. So this is why I like the fact that you mentioned the need to integrate. So if I can use the five top things that I've managed to think of for what I'm trying to do within INSEAD, because I think it can be applied to others, to other organizations. One, the first important aspect, I think, is to make sure that sustainability, this ambition is anchored at the top. It can totally be an... uh, you know, an intrapreneurship affair, it can be bottom up. The push can come from different parts of the organization, but there is a point where it's going to have to be connected to the organizational strategy and have somehow some buying from senior management, from, you know, board or the executive committee or executive team, etc. right? So for instance, in my case, I personally report to the dean of INSEAD, to the highest function. The business as a force for good is a pillar of the INSEAD strategy. It's also connected to the mission of the school, which, by the way, you know, and I didn't know that when I joined, but which is a school that was created after the Second World War and first at the you know European level to really help build Europe through commerce. So the very core of why this was created was really to bring uh, people who will then work in business from France, Germany, and other countries. So the three languages that you had to speak to come to INSEAD was French, German, and English. So really to create that community of businesses who will then work together and construct Europe. So making sure that it's connected to your strategy. There is always a, to the strategy of the organization, always a way of feeling that. Then the second point, to so the first one, anchor at the top, one way or another, you know, this needs to happen. Then cover all grounds. It's important that the strategy is developed by considering all, I don't know, departments or functions of the organizations, whatever they are. The, the development of the sustainability strategy engage all the stakeholders. That's just to ensure, you know, their future buying. So for instance, in, the, in my case, in a business school, it's going to be faculty, the students, the alumni, and also the staff of the school. So I think that's very important because you can only fully integrate all functions and all stakeholders are are involved. And it doesn't have to be too complicated. I mean, you can use like a classic logic model to develop it. I mean, it doesn't have to take years. I mean, this is done in a few weeks typically, but but this full consideration I think is important. I think what's also very important is to use the existing structures of the organization, the governance structure and the processes. The the more you create parallel one, the more you build a silo, (laughs) right? So, Every, every time you have to always think about like, what can I use to make it happen? For instance, at the Hoffman Institute, we provide funds for research on sustainability. So we channel these funds through the research and development committee of the organization, which already exists in INSEAD. It already guarantees the academic excellence and and the fact that it's going to be good research. So we don't need to allocate our funds any differently for research. So we use that as the vector so that we don't create a pot of money that sits on the side of the organization, right? So I think using existing structure is the, my third point. Then help others be the sustainability leaders. It's really about being this facilitator and enabler, I really believe. You know? The more you support, incentivize, and really help other people sustainability initiatives the less, same thing, the less you create a parallel way and the more you embed. And of course that takes more time. It takes more energy. It takes, but um, this is really important so that you, things are not centralized. It's not always easy. It doesn't always work, but at least having that as an objective is important. And my final point is really to focus on core business, you know, making sure that most of what you do is focusing on core business. For us, it's about, in an academic institution, it's going to be about, research and learning, right? It's going to be about knowledge and learning. It's about, and so of course um, we can plant trees with students and have these activities, but if it doesn't have one of these learning elements, then we're losing our time because this is not what's going to change business education. I'm not saying it's not important, but the core business of uh, every industry, what's material to every business would be completely different, but it's important to not get too sidetracked By what's not core business and only do it if at the game it serves the change in core business when i've been thinking about it these are the main elements that i've been thinking of i don't know if you have others based on the interviews you've done or if you've heard something different it's really a
0: lesson on strategy and how to embed strategy it reminds me you know the first point it can comes from everywhere but as you said because i mean we can recall you know strategy grow like weed (laughs) You know, Mintzberg definition, but on the, in the garden, but you need to anchor at the top because if there is not that push, it remains on the side. What I liked most is use whatever you have, embed it in your organization and do not silo. Please do not silo because that is where... A lot of effort also in case studies we have a bit put sustainability something for taxonomy something for compliance but it's, it's there the core business is here that one are the guys that they plant as you said you plant trees but if you don't have an objective on how to change your core business you are failing your strategy
1: and I'm not saying it's easy you know it's like I'm not say, and, and again at Anetia we still have a lot of work to do and it doesn't always work and you cannot always do it but I, I think it's important to keep it in mind because, because that's the the main problem of sustainability today is that up to very recently it was an agenda for environmentalists it was side issue it was something that came from outside or from the fringe and now it's everybody's business it has everybody business it affects every parts of business and we cannot address it if we don't really look at how to change systems, and we will not be able to change systems if it's not integrated and if we don't keep that focus. So I think that for all the people like me and others who have been working on the other side for a long time, our main responsibility, I think, today is really to weave it through outside and outside of our comfort zone of the, you know, let's say, sustainable development crowd right that's i think that's our responsibility yeah
0: rightly said it's really now to embrace an holistic perspective and i like your points because you have made the example of insead which is a very relevant example but i think they are universal and can be applied either you are a business you are a a small enterprise a bigger enterprise, a median enterprise because if you don't follow these steps and this path you will will not have embraced sustainability at their core it will be just, as you say, the side part, something that is there hanging, but without a clear reference.
1: It's really core to the definition of sustainability as well, right? So
0: How you will define it since you put it there?
1: There is the definition of sustainability and sustainable development, right? I mean, that's a, that's a definition that came from the World Commission on the Environment and Development in 1987 by this It's called like the Brundtland Commission Report that was produced by uh, Brundtland, who is, uh, you know, we should all uh, thank still. (laughs) Of course, it was a commission, but she was leading it. And the definition is the following. Sustainable development is a development that meets the needs of the present without compromising the ability of future generation to meet their own needs. Again, it's from eighty-seven, but if you say it today, thinking about the planet we're leaving to our kids, I mean, it's so relevant. So first, there are two important aspects, I think, from my perspective in definition. The first one is that it's a process. It's not a destination. It's a process. It's a process of adaptation, of learning, of action. You never really get there, and it's not like um, it's going to be done once and for all, right? Because problem arise, and you need to adjust and be agile about it. So it is a a dynamic process. The second aspect of this definition is that it's about interconnection and interdependence, something that we already uh, spoke a lot in this conversation, right? It is very important to say that sustainability is not limited to environmental protection. It's really about understanding the connections between our economy, our society, and our natural environment. This is how it's defined. It's all about looking at this interconnection and making sure that they work for these three aspects. We often say, you know, people, planet, and and profit, or however you want to say it. But this is what sustainability is all about. It's about this interconnection. So these are two important aspects of this definition. That definition has been basically what has been used as a reference for everything that's happened on sustainable development since eighty-seven from the Rio Convention in 92 for the Rio Plus 20 Convention in 2012, that then led to the Sustainable Development Goals. And what happened in uh, 2015 was that governments from all over the world took very two important steps to really to commit to realizing that vision, that Brundtland vision on sustainability. The first one was the Paris Agreement on climate change, really committing to this major shift that we need for low-carbon economies. And the second one was the 17 sustainable development goals. And these two things are basically captured under what's called Agenda 2030. So there, is, there are a number of goals, targets, millions of them, with deadlines for 2030 that basically give us our current operative framework for sustainability.
0: Perfectly said.
1: I can summarize it. Is it
0: becoming, I think, one of the core capability of an enterprise for the future is becoming as you said, a part and parcel of of the core business. Let me ask how maybe INSEAD is and how is your research and the research of the broader business school is is fostering this agenda, the agenda you have just mentioned.
1: On this major trend that this is about the future of business, of course, I'm going to say yes, because you can see that I'm a little bit of an activist in that area. More importantly, we will not be able to achieve the Sustainable Development Goals if business are not involved, partly because some of the problems embedded there come from business and also because they are part of the solutions. There is also a lot of economic and employment opportunities for businesses in helping to realize the sustainable development goals. And finally, these issues that are embedded in Agenda 2030, like climate change, inequalities, poverty, health, (laughs) all these problems and issues are increasingly becoming material for business and they're realizing it. When we just look, for instance, at the floods in Germany that that just happened, no business and operate in that context. <laughs> it's just one, or, or like when we saw the lockdown and the impacts on our economy, the points it's shedding off our GDPs all over the world, because basically we've been grounded. We can see that these issues are completely material to any kind of business in one way or another, right? So it's not, again, because it's the right thing to do, but it's because it's just, it's not a choice. It's really right in principle and right in practice, as we can say. So, for a business not only to stay relevant for the future, but simply to stay operational, these things have to be integrated at the core of the strategy within the PL. At INSEAD, what do we do? We are a business school. So, we have more than a thousand let's say, MBA students that graduate from our school. We have tons of executives who come to our school. So our responsibility and the commitment that has been made at INSEAD is to make sure that everybody who comes to our campus leaves our campus aware of this responsibility and equipped to the best that they can to contribute to that agenda. And as I say, we still have a lot of work to do, but that's the objective. And we only can also equip these people to how far research and evidence is leading us the research dimension is also fundamental and we know that we don't have all the solutions right now because they are being crafted as we go so we need to equip these people who come on our campus with the mindset and some basic skill sets which are about you know systemic thinkers which are about connecting the dots which you know etc so that they, they can do that so basically we fund the hoffman institute funds research on uh, business and sustainability to really have these better evidence-based solutions on how business can contribute. We support innovation to embed things in our curricula. Um, we engage our community to become agent of change and to ensure that they have lifelong learning on this front. And we look at our operations to also improve the way we walk the talk, (laughs) right? So basically, the strategy of the Hoffman Institute, which is one at the level of INSEAD, cover these four areas. And I'm happy to give examples about that. But again, it it follows this uh, integration objective that I mentioned. And again, we need to be very humble to say that even though we have good objectives, we still have a lot of work to do. <laughs> I won't say that enough. right?
0: Definitely. And you are doing already a, a wonderful job.
1: But you know what's exciting is that uh, it's, it's not just in SEAD. Huh? I just also want to be with it. I mean, you know, here I speak for others doing the same thing in other business schools. So there is really a, a growing trend and there are so many business schools and schools in general who are, who are, you know, pushing that agenda. And in some instances, you know, doing much better than we do in others. So we also coming together through networks to learn from one another and, and support each other. Academia is a, the type of organization that you can change. It, it has a, a long term perspective, right? Between the time when you produce research to the time it's peer reviewed and published, there is sometimes between three to five years. So it's really a long term team sport in academia to push sustainability. It's it's easier for other kinds of organization, but uh, if we really want to do it, in an integrated manner, and at the core, that's what it takes.
0: It's a really very interesting way also to see also the community of business school training people and make them aware. As we are approaching the end of the episode, I want to ask you your final message. You know, I wanted to ask, since uh, what is your message from your experience as a woman leader in sustainability, which is your message that you want to give to our audience?
1: I'm obviously super privileged from all ends. However, uh, like I think other uh, women who may be part of your audience have, have felt a, a difference in my career. In particular, when I announced I was pregnant, for instance, where all of a sudden, for some reasons, I was made feel as if I lost my brain power, or I was not part of meetings anymore because I was going to go anyways, etc. When I returned from maternity leave um, or when I applied for a higher position, I think what's helped me has been uh, my husband. So I think the role of the partner, you know, irrespective of gender, (laughs) the role of the partner is extremely important to be able to to cope. In a a broad sense, the the support group, because, you know, we have single parents out there, we have single women. So support group is fundamental. And there is research actually at INSEAD showing the importance of that done by my colleague, uh, Professor Zoe Kinyas in the INSEAD Gender Initiative. So making sure that, you know, Every woman spent some time trying to build and, and the coaching and mentoring that can come from that. I think what's also helped me particularly was to to basically do a lot before I had my kids. Like you know my PhD, um, working in the field in developing countries. I mean I wouldn't have been able to do that after being a mother. So again, this is because I was in a right country where I could do these studies that were merit based, where I could get the scholarship. Again, I'm a privileged white person. Um, the three things that. I wanted to highlight in terms of what I've learned, because I, now I think I can, I'm a little bit older, so I can say it. My first learning is that work-life balance is, it is a myth. We cannot do it all. Something has to give. We shouldn't lure women with this because you cannot spend all the time with the kids, be at home and, and also work and progress. Something has to give, which is why the support group is important. But I think we should be very honest with this so that we help women, you know, make the decision about what's going to be important now and later and and manage to find a way through that. I also want to say there will never be, for instance, the perfect time when or when to have kids in a career. Right, that is not going to happen. So it's about helping women making the decisions when they're right for them. Something's going to have to give at one point, but maybe not later. The second point is don't bring coffee. You know, typically the women young in the room will be asked to bring the missing chair or coffee or to take the notes at the meeting. My main message is like, of course, when you're young, you might have to do it because you don't really have a choice, but never volunteer for it. And as soon as you can protect other young women from having that role, make sure you do. Because, you know, we shouldn't bring coffee. And in my career, when I advanced and worked for for the the CEO of UNICEF, I I told him when I was accompanying him to me, was like, there are two things I don't do. I don't bring you coffee. I don't carry your briefcase. It's important not to be put in that role of the good girl doing all and doing all the, let's say, household chores. So my last point is if you look at it and think of it really hard and you feel like you 51% ready to do it, that you're ready to do it and should apply or you should put a step forward. I think women just wait until they like uh, overly qualified to do things before they raise their hand. And so if you're 51% ready, you're ready. When you grow in your career or for me, help young women see that and do that. It's wonderful
0: because you have given five practical points for organization and now you have given three very honest, good points. One of the book I just read is Leadership Bullshit, Leadership BS by Professor Peffer. You know, we need to remove the meats and say things really loud and clear. And I love the don't bring coffee. The behavioral change starts from the individual and from small behavior. So, and with the perception of women and the level ground and all societies, even where they're seated, and how they can speak or no, from either you are in a rural context to a CEO board meeting room, it's really the behavioral change and how you interact. So it's your points are very relevant, and I'm grateful for your honesty and to share also the pain and also the suffering you have been also through your career and the choices that you have to make. Not a lot of people, they are so assertive and they they know
1: (laughs) i don't think again for me we can talk about pain and i mean again there are people who are discriminated in the workplace uh, on a daily basis and i am not one of these as i said again i come from a very privileged place so i haven't had suffering i mean you know but you know just things that i think men don't have to go through basically
0: it's different you know for some people it's physical maybe discrimination or even very hard small and psychological part but still they can end us. And
1: my, my wish uh, you know, for women is that they just you know, become less and less afraid. Mm. And that's my mm. main wish. You know, everybody who can help a woman be less afraid. My main point is, uh, you know, that we can all help on this front and on the sustainability front, like everybody can in one way or another. But already supporting a young woman working in that space at home or at work, supporting her will be a contribution.
0: Yes, we all need to make that jump to go sustainability and, and a different world. So it, it's really been an insightful episode. I'm really grateful to have had you for this episode and I'm really already booking you for another one, maybe for the second season. Thank you, Catel, for this wonderful episode. I'm really grateful.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's been a great exchange with you. Good luck with your podcast and uh, come and listen to mine too. Mission to change. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Definitely, we will put the, the link. Wonderful. Are you satisfied after this wonderful episode in the next one we will go to Ghana